0: So welcome back to the business of biotech. I'm Matt Piller, and I'm here in Boston at the headquarters of Elysio Therapeutics, a clinical stage company working on novel immunotherapies for cancer and other diseases. And I'm sitting with Dr. Peter DeMuth. Did I pronounce your last name right? DeMuth? It's DeMuth. DeMuth. All right. So I'm sitting here with Dr. Peter DeMuth, chief scientific officer and one of the folks responsible for the company's launch back in 2013 when he brought the company's lymph node-centric Amphiphile technology with him out of MIT. Amphiphile.
1: Amphiphile. You got it right. I got that one we'll right. We'll shorten it to amp just to make it easier. We're just going to say amp. amp. All
0: right. So thanks uh, for having me, Doctor Dumas. I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate the invitation here to your office. I got a little tour uh, before we started recording of the the lab, which is very cool. I appreciate that. Uh, nice facility here in uh, in Boston. Um, let's talk about that for a minute. Tell me about the the spot that you picked here.
1: Yeah, it's, um, it's a huge upgrade from where we were before. We were previously in Cambridge, um, working in uh, a space that had ample lab and office, but moving to the seaport um, into really a new space that was designed and built out for us. Um, has a lot of room to grow, a lot of infrastructure and opportunities to connect with the broader ecosystem for biotech in the, in the area. So it's really an exciting upgrade and development. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. I'm I'm here
0: in town uh, also to attend the Bioprocess International event, which is at the convention center uh, right up the road here. Is that something that you guys have your eye on or something another one to?
1: No, actually, yesterday I was at a summit for RAS-specific drug development, which is, as you know, our lead candidate in the clinic. So I've been spending time doing that, um, meeting with the community there. But, um, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of meetings at the convention center. We'll be what SITSI I believe, is at the convention center later this but, fall that we'll be at.
0: Yeah, I think this is this is like officially biotech week in Boston, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So I want to get to know uh, your background a
0: little bit, better, Doctor Demuth. Uh, you earned your PhD in biological engineering from MIT, right? Right up the road, right, right. Right, right across the river, as it were, I guess. Yes. Uh, as well as uh, some sought after research fellowships, including uh, Howard Hughes Medical Institute, uh, the NIH, Whitehead Institute did a Novartis NIH vaccine fellowship, as well as a couple others at NIH. Um, so, you know, on paper, that looks like a pretty solid foundation for a career in academia. And you're you're a young man, so I'm not saying you probably ruled that out just yet anyway. Uh, but what, what was the, I guess, inspiration for the move to industry?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think my whole focus um, in my academic career was very translational. So I really wanted to work on solutions to real-world problems, so that's been something that has driven my interest for a long time, and I, I gravitated towards this opportunity to translate science and bring solutions to problems that were affecting patients and um, take a technology from the bench to the bedside. So that was really the motivation um, for moving into industry. I felt like I could make a bigger impact by doing that. hmm um, I think like many people in the industry i have been personally impacted by the diseases that we're trying to find cures for or, or therapies for. Um, so there's sort of a personal, um, uh, motivation to make an impact, uh, for patients like that. Yeah. And then the other thing that I, th- I thought about as I considered that question was, um, the opportunity to work in a dynamic team environment, um, especially in the small biotech space. I think that's a really unique feature of that specific niche of the of the, industri- of the industry. And so um, I wanted to be able to work with people who were committed and dedicated to solving these big problems that are facing the patients that we're trying to, to serve.
0: Yeah. Let me let me throw another one in there. Uh, rewind a little bit, even even further. Uh, before you went down the biological engineering path at MIT, um, I, I'm always I'm fascinated by the concept of you know biologic engineering. My partially because my son, who's 18 right now, is making some decisions about where he's going to go to school, and he's very interested in engineering, and he's just now uh, kind of opening his eyes up to all the opportunities. You know. in in school when you're in high school there's a lot of sort of uh you know i I guess generalization around engineering and now that he's looking into specific schools he's learning about all the different permutations um so when you were in that position maybe were you you know you knew you had a good engineering brain and had the chops to go to a good school for it were you thinking biology were you thinking engineering were you you know were you you more an engineering guy or biology guy and when did that kind of form up to uh, what it is today
1: I think I've always been interested in biology, but I've also had this real strong desire to reduce problems to their first principles, which is an engineering mindset. Um, And so when I was looking at colleges, I knew that I wanted some combination there. And what I ended up doing was um, two programs, one in chemical engineering, because I, I wanted to develop this really strong mindset for the math behind the principles that drive chemistry and biology and then biochemistry because I wanted to understand the deep biology that mm-hmm. was going to be you know something that would make a difference in the the type of problems that I wanted to solve in the future yeah so after i finished that and saw that You know, one applied to the other in really interesting ways. As I made my way into graduate school, I found a program in MIT at the Biological Engineering Program, which married both of those and really had a different way of looking at biology that I thought was really compelling and important. Um, And I think that that has really carried me through the trajectory that that set me on this really been born out over the course of my career.
0: Yeah, and that's uh playing out here at Alisio. So the way that I understand it, you're the and you, and you corrected me on for the for the record, we'll we'll share this with the audience. You corrected me on this. I had addressed you as the um scientific founder and you said no, 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 I'm the founding scientist at Alisio. So, uh let, let's kind of flesh out the nuance there.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So my role at the company Um, was to bring this technology in from our academic founder, Daryl Irvin, and his group at MIT. So they had invented this technology, um, developed it to a certain point, and shown that it was applicable for all these really interesting and, and important problems that were facing medicine and vaccines and cancer immunotherapy specifically. And so my role was to bring that technology into the company as the lead scientist to install the infrastructure and the team and the expertise here internally at the company to not only practice the technology, but to apply it towards different programs, product opportunities, um, and then to continue the research and development um, to the extent that we could expand that to more pipeline opportunities for the company. So Mm -hmm. um, that was my role from uh, beginning in 2016 or so when we brought the technology into the company. And as we've continued to innovate and the group at MIT and others have continued to innovate. We've taken cues from them and how we want to apply the, the platform. And it's very flexible. We'll get into this. But it's ex- extremely modular, something that can be applied in a number of different areas. So it's very, um, the opportunities essentially are Boundless for the ways that we can apply this. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do want to get into that.
0: Um, but you mentioned when we, what you said when we brought the technology into the company in 2016. So give give me that in the context of what the company was in 2016 and where it came from.
1: Yeah, this is this is a really interesting backstory. So the company was founded um, around a different technology um, with the same overarching goals and focus of getting the drugs um, and vaccines and other types of therapies that had been studied for a long time to the immune response in the lymph nodes. And so we had a, a platform that was developed initially at MIT to do that. We were developing it here at the company. As the science advanced, a new platform was developed in the same group at MIT to do the same thing, essentially. And we had the opportunity to compare those into, you know, bring them alongside one another within the company and then eventually we decided that we would focus all of our energy onto the the current platform the amp platform um and so there was a transition there that led the company to developing this platform and focusing in cancer immunotherapy and vaccines Mm -hmm. and so i was um in the position at that point to um, bring the technology in develop it and apply it in different product opportunities
0: it's interesting. Um, at the at the time, was the the concept? Let's let's take it back to twenty sixteen. Uh, was the concept to develop uh, a, a a discovery or t- translational discovery platform, or was the thought process at that time? Let's take that into the development of of a pipeline.
1: Yeah. So when we brought the technology into the company, I would characterize it as something like a toolkit almost, something that we could use to apply to a variety of different opportunities that we thought would be interesting products for development. Mm -hmm. So the concept had been developed and invented. It had been proved in mice. Um, It had been applied in a number of different areas. So we had sort of a feeling, the boundaries for where we could apply the technology. And it was our job at that point to identify interesting... Product opportunities that would meet unmet medical needs and fit the characteristics and abilities of the of the, of the platform, and so we did that, and um, you know, built a pipeline, advanced candidates, and based on their merits, we advanced them further into clinical trials, and that's essentially brought us to the point we are today.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so I want to learn, uh, and again, you know, I'm not a scientist. Nor nor am I an engineer, uh, but I want to learn a little bit more about the technology, so amp technology. And you've you've given us a you know sort of a, an overview of it. But um, for those of us, uh, for the, those listeners who who are more scientific than I am, yeah, give them a little more in the weeds to the extent that you can. You know, not not expecting you to share trade secrets, but uh, give them a little bit more.
1: Right. Yeah. So. Uh- need to start the story with the lymph nodes and talk a little bit about the importance of this site in our bodies for orchestrating, coordinating, and supporting the immune response. Mm. Um, most people probably don't think about the lymph nodes very often or at all, um, but it's been known for a long time that they play this incredibly important role for orchestrating the immune response, for collecting the various information that the body is giving it about the threats to our health. And, um, so for that reason, we commonly call it the brain center of the immune response. Um, however, it's important to understand that up until recently, I think, despite that understanding, there's not been a lot of focus on technologies that could deliver therapies or drugs directly to this site in the body. Um, you, well, why? why? Yeah, it's it's a great question. I think one of the things that that—one of the reasons, I think, is that we just— assumed that most things eventually got there Hmm. Um, and there wasn't a lot of reason to really um, put a lot of design consideration into technologies that would solve this problem because I'm not sure it was really appreciated as a problem the way that it is now Um, but as the field advanced there was more recognition that these really promising drugs that have the right biology were not getting to the right site to you know, perform their function. Mm-hmm. And that was leading to limitations or toxicities or other challenges that the, the field really needed to solve to unlock the full potential of the, of the immune response. Um, so as that was going on, um, our scientific founder, Daryl Irvin, and his group at MIT was really at the, the front of this. And we're using some really exciting material science and engineering and chemistry design to... Um, capabilities to study the problem and then design solutions to it. Um, So as they did that, what they found was um, that many of the, again, many of the agents that the field had pursued for vaccination or for immunotherapy just simply were not inherently able to get into lymph nodes. And the reason for that is that as you inject agents into the body and the tissues, they can go one of two places. They can either go into the blood Or they can go into the lymph vessels, which is a parallel system for draining molecules through the lymph nodes um, to engage the immune response. And it turns out that what defines which way you go, making this very simple now, is size. Appreciate it, by the way. So things that are very small go into the blood, Mm -hmm. um, away from the lymph nodes, away from the immune response. And that encapsulates or encompasses a a huge fraction of the molecules that are interesting for driving the immune response. Yeah. Um, So... Uh, the contrast is that larger things don't get into the blood. They go into the lymph. And so there's this really interesting protein in the tissues called albumin. And albumin, you can think of it almost like a shuttle bus. Um, and it moves from the tissues directly into the lymph node. So the idea behind the technology was essentially to reprogram the way that these really promising classes of agents move within the body so that they get to the immune response and have the opportunity they need to drive the immune response against cancer or against infectious disease um, in new ways that uh, are really exciting and hold a lot of potential for new medicines. Hmm.
0: Okay. Uh, All right. So you, you, uh, great segue, by the way, because you you talked about uh, molecular size and the difficulty of, you know, getting getting uh, large molecules into the into the bloodstream. Your platform looks unique to me uh, in that it, it appears to be sort of molecularly agnostic. Um, enables molecules large and small. Uh, so expand on that a little bit for us. And, uh, you know, the, the, the science, but also sort of the, the business aspect of that. Like, obviously, it's strategic to have a multiple, you know, the, what's the cliche, multiple shots on goal, multiple, yeah. multiple modalities, you know, as a business. So just give us a little bit more on the strategy there.
1: Yeah. Um, I think we're positioned really at a, an interesting place because there's been all this effort by the field to define the types of molecules that are interesting for engaging the immune response and modulating it, um, orienting it to solve these problems with our health. Um, but They've not really been able, in many cases, to live up to their potential because they're not getting into the lymph nodes where much of the biology that drives that response is located. Mm -hmm. So the fact that we can take this technology and easily apply it to a variety, you know, a whole library, if you will, of these different agents without doing bespoke customization or engineering or modification, just take it off the shelf and, and the chemistry is the same, means that we can move quickly from an idea To proof of concepts, and then evaluate the opportunities for further development. Um, And the reason for that is that it's basically um, a bioconjugation. And I'll explain that. It's basically, we want to take these payloads, put a little tag onto them, it basically consists of a lipid. Mm. Um, And, you know, we referred to albumin as this shuttle bus. This is essentially the, the ticket that allows those molecules to get onto the shuttle bus so that that albumin can take them into the lymph nodes give them to the immune response and now they're able to do their job in a way that they weren't able to before because they weren't really getting to that site in the body yeah
0: uh i want to talk about the pipeline a little bit and and i i'll kind of frame this up well one let's uh let's let's talk about tell tell me about the pipeline tell me about your lead candidates um but i kind of want to hear about it in the context of and Maybe you can address this after we kind of talk about the candidates. But uh, the challenge is associated with coming at, you know, the challenges associated with developing a pipeline from such an agnostic point of view is, as far as um, your molecular entities are concerned, what that means from a business standpoint, especially in this market. So we look at this market right now mm-hmm. and it's, you know, capital is constricted, uh, very discern discerning uh, in, investor environment it's trendy to be you know a a platform company that develops one set of things you know like you're a cell and gene company or a cell therapy company or a gene therapy company or an antibody company you know platform spitting these things out when you you come at it and you're like wow we've got some really cool science that can do a whole bunch of things it's got to create some inherent challenges so i just used a lot of words to (laughs) ask two questions effectively first question uh Give us a walkthrough of, of your lead candidates, and then maybe we'll address that second part.
1: Sure. Um, so our lead candidate is ELI-002. It's a therapeutic cancer vaccine. It's meant to target a particular cancer protein, a mutant protein called KRAS. Um, and this is a really exciting opportunity because KRAS is this infamous driving protein um, that allows tumors to form and develop and progress, And it's implicated in 25% of all human solid cancers. So it's a huge patient population and a huge medical, unmet medical need. Um, So essentially, the goal of this um, program is to promote an immune response against this small bit of the cancer that's driving its ability to proliferate and to progress. Hmm. And basically, in the lymph nodes, we're able to deliver this information to the immune response so that it can coordinate the cells and the responses that are able to seek out that cancer wherever it is in the body and then attack it and eliminate it um so that's eli 2 we're currently in a phase one two clinical evaluation of that program um currently we're focusing on gastrointestinal cancers like pancreatic and colorectal but there's a lot of opportunities in other cancer types like lung cancer And we're starting to look for signs of activity and the ability of the drug to induce immune responses, but also the ability of the drug to um, show signs of activity in reducing the progression of cancer or eliminating the uh, potential for the cancer to come back. Um, So those are the exciting things that I think we're looking forward to uh, as the clinical program goes forward.
0: Yeah. Uh, It it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for um, partnership. You, you you mentioned you know you, you talk you you talk about the the shuttle bus concept right, um you know there's it sounds like there's a lot of opportunity for people to get on the bus right,
1: <laughs> uh, yeah is that by design? Yeah, I, I think we we really believe in the flexibility of the platform, and I think this is something that has been proven throughout the development of the platform. Um, we're fortunate in that. In addition to our own innovation and our own work here at the company, the labs at MIT and Daryl's group at MIT have continued to innovate around this platform, um, showing it has a lot of potential to improve combinations with cell therapy, to be used in combination with other standard of care agents like checkpoint inhibitors, to be used for infectious disease. Um, most recently, it was proven to be really an interesting approach to mucosal vaccination, Um, So we do have a huge opportunity to apply the platform in different areas that are not currently our core focus. And I think, to your point, that gives us a lot of opportunity to collaborate um, in areas that are not the core focus for the company, but also to combine, for example, to combine ELI-002 with other um, agents that are currently standard of care within the cancer immunotherapy space, like... Um, checkpoint inhibition. And a great example of that is our our current um, collaborative efforts that we've announced with Regeneron, where we'll look to combine the ELI-002 program with a checkpoint inhibitor in order to see if we can improve responses in patients that um, are responsive to monotherapy or perhaps not responsive to monotherapy checkpoint inhibition.
0: where did you I'm sorry if I missed this. Did you mention where eli i o o two is in the clinic? Like what stage? So
1: current stage is uh, phase one, so we're doing a dose escalation. Um, we want to evaluate safety, of course, but we want to also um, look for signs of pharmacological activity. So can we produce the immune response that we're looking for? And since uh, we're able to do these phase one trials in patients that have the disease that we're looking to treat, we're also able to observe signs of initial clinical activity. So reduction in tumor burden um, potentially or uh, a longer duration before patients relapse. Um, So we're able in the same trial to look at safety as well as the mechanism of action and the impact on the disease that we're looking to treat.
0: When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations, like mRNA and cell and gene therapies, into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at citiva.com backslash emergingbiotech. That's c y t i v a dot backslash emerging biotech. Uh, where, where does production of of that therapeutic happen for clinical supply right right now?
1: So we work with a number of external research uh, organizations that perform GMP manufacturing for our product.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I was curious. I uh, you know we as I mentioned before we started talking, you took me on a little tour of your. Your lab space, and while I haven't done a ton of these uh, podcasts on site uh, at 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 biopharma companies, um, you know I'd venture the guess that a lot of them don't necessarily have on site lab space like you do. Certainly not in the the kind of square footage quantity that you do. It's a pretty nice nice sized lab. So I was curious if there was uh, any internal manufacturing happening or plans to do that as well.
1: Not currently, although I think it's, it's an interesting opportunity that we would certainly look to take advantage of if the conditions were right.
0: Yeah, yeah, good deal. Um, I, I don't know if I let you off the hook too easy on the second part of that convoluted question I asked
1: earlier around. Yeah, the challenges.
0: Yeah, the challenges, just in terms of the business strategy. Were, were you hoping that I let that one slide?
1: No, I, I, I'm happy to <laughs> uh, speak to you because I think you're right. I think this is a challenge. It's something to think carefully about. Um, on the one hand, it's it's a potential, right? Because you have so many opportunities that you can develop, uh, pick and choose the things that look most promising and also offer a menu of options to potential partners that could be really interesting. Um, and if you don't have the, um, the finances, the capital, the resources at the moment to develop them on your own, then you can um, take advantage of partnerships to do that well. Yeah. Um, so it, it is a challenge. It does require a lot of intentional thought and a lot of hard decisions in some cases. But um, that's the beauty of a true platform, something that has the flexibility that the AMP platform does um it gives you a lot of opportunities, and I think it's it's important to be in that position and preferable to be in that position um as opposed to just having a single option that you have to take all yeah. the way forward without any um backup options if you will
0: when you say make di- difficult decisions, you're talking about like what to pursue and what not to pursue
1: yeah um it's almost i mean it's almost like choosing which of your children gets to go to college if you will mm. um Everything looks really promising. All the opportunities are really exciting. But you really have to make those tough decisions about which ones you're going to advance um, and in what order. Um, Yeah. So there's a lot of thought that goes, strategic thinking that goes into that.
0: Yeah. Well, I've got I've got two kids that are approaching college age, one one imminently. So, I totally get the, the the stress. Although I'm sure you know when you need to raise you need to raise more money to develop a biologic than you do to send your kid to, to, to college. So, <laughs> the stakes are pretty high. Um, I I noted this earlier. You're young uh, relative to I'd say most of the biotech uh, founders or er, early you know leaders uh, that I've interviewed. You're you're I don't know how old you are. I didn't ask, and I don't mean to be ageist, but you're, you're at least visibly, you, you know, you, you look younger than most, uh, you know, a- MIT, PhD, obviously the, the scientifics and, and academic chops speak for themselves. Um, but as far as being a, a leader of this business and, and coming out of academia and maybe, would I mean, you have an MBA? Did you go to like, did you go study business? Like, did you, no. Yeah. So, no. so let's talk about that. I, I'm, j- I'm just, I'm always curious about this. You know, it's, in any industry i think you know in any 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 thought you know uh scientific or tech-based industry there always seems to be and i don't mean to paint with a broad brush but there always seems to be you know you've got the propeller head so to speak right those who are very good at, at the science or the tech and keep their heads down and do that but if you ask them to you know lead a company through a, an acquisition they'd run the other way um or or sell for that matter you know mm. uh and then there's the other group, right? Like the entrepreneurial kind of C-suite folks who, you know, maybe step in blindly and, and lead a company, They're creating a product, maybe don't know anything about the science. Um, it's always best, in my opinion, when you've got someone who crosses that, that you know, that, that, uh, that line or straddles that line, as it were. But I'm curious about y- your mindset on that and, and kind of what uh, motivated you to be more than just a scientist and be a leader within the company.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think this comes back to what I was saying earlier, that a lot of my academic experience was very translational in nature. And so I feel like I did have an opportunity to think about where the unmet need was um, and then create solutions that would fill that need. Um, You know, no formal business training, Mm -hmm. um, but coming into a small company um, being asked to wear multiple hats, being given responsibilities that um, you don 't have formal preparation for, but things need to be done, and there are a limited number of people to get those things done i 've also had um, you know tremendous people to work with and learn from, and I think that 's the other really exciting opportunity of a small startup biotech environment is that you come in and you are really limited only by your own um, ambition, mm-hmm. the things that you want to do, the things that you want to learn, they're right there for you to do. Um, and you're given those opportunities in ways that you wouldn't in other such se- in other settings. Yeah. Um, it is up to you to, to take those opportunities and to make the most of them, but this iterative process of learning and having impact growing, that's really kind of the magic of the small biotech entrepreneurial space.
0: Yeah. What, what's, uh, what was the most daunting thing about, um uh, T- taking this position? What was the most, uh, you know, I don't know, scary, scary is too strong a word, but what did you have the most apprehension around?
1: That's a good question. I don't have a good answer for you. Um, that's okay. I sprung it on you. <laughs> I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the challenges of making the strategic decisions. Yeah. Um, that, that's certainly something that comes to mind. Um, but I think the scientific mindset, mindset really prepares you for that the ability to look at the options before you and understand the potential the risks the opportunities yeah um that's maybe not something that you need an mba to to start doing um it is daunting um something that you know does take practice but it's something that with practice i think is you can pick it up
0: yeah yeah Uh, where are you going uh, from here? Where, where's the company going from here? So you you gave us a clinical update. I guess, what are some of the next big steps around the the clinical project?
1: Yeah. So we'd like, uh, to focus on completing the clinical program for Eli 002. Um, with that, we'll be able to define the dose, um, that is going to be most effective in our later stage trials. We'll be able to get information about how well the approach is working and in many ways, that'll give us a lot of validation for the platform as a whole. So um, a lot of the doors that remain closed in terms of um, expanding our pipeline will become more open to us, I think, with that uh, platform validation in uh, in the clinic. Mm-hmm. So um, preparing for that, preparing for advancing ELI-002 um, and expanding it into different patient populations that... Um, could derive a lot of benefit from this combination or um, the monotherapy. Even um, those are the things that I think we're really focused on right now.
0: Yeah. Uh, so another, I'll sp- spring another one on you. What what could stand in the way of that? Like what 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 challenges could stand in the way of that progressing smoothly? Hmm.
1: There's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs>
0: any any particular that you you know can concern you know as a as a as a first time sort of you know uh, scientific founder found what found, founding scientist we landed on yeah uh, you know in in a new and young company are there any any of those challenges or obstacles that could pop up that are particularly concerning to you not because of the position the company's in but just you know as you know seeing some of this for the first time
1: yeah. I mean, I think there's a truism, and if, and if you and
0: if you say anything that you don't want to say, we can edit it out in the background.
1: So. <laughs> I, I think what I was going to say is that the truism of of biotech is that, and and biopharma is that a drug can fail at any point. There's a, a million ways that a drug can fail. Yeah. Um, so you know, you plan and you um, you create optionality in some ways. You think strategically about what you will do in different situations. Um, obviously, you have conviction because of the work that you've done to date you wouldn't be where you are because if you did not believe that what you're doing could be successful um, so we, we were standing here with a lot of confidence thinking that we're doing the right things and that we'll be successful um, but that said you know you could think all day and all night about the the potential ways that you could fail and you would only cover a very small sure
0: way. yeah i mean you know i i was just sitting here thinking about the fact that you you know kind of came, came away from from MIT and and as i said could have probably chosen any path you you'd like in academia um and you know when you're an academic a professor an assistant professor working in a lab you wake up every day and there's a hundred percent chance that you'll successfully research something or teach something Mm -hmm. you wake up every day in a business where there's what an eight percent chance that you'll succeed at uh you know, at, at a commercial product. So you, you embrace that somehow.
1: Absolutely. And um, I think having a platform like the one we have behind us with the flexibility that we have, the opportunities that we could pursue, um, we can use that to our advantage yeah. based on what we learn each day, based upon the opportunities that are presented to us, the flexibility and the adaptability that we have with our team and with our platform, I think is a real asset.
0: Yeah, yeah. What advice would you give to uh, to other uh, early-stage uh, young leaders such as yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, just picking up again on the the point that I just made, the the need to be adaptable and resilient, um, the, the importance of embracing the difficulties because ultimately um, you believe they will lead to the right outcome. Um, not necessarily in terms of any particular program or technology, but in um, the resilience that's required to continue developing, um, not only in yourself, but in the team that you're leading. Yeah. Um, I mean, to that point, I think investment in your team, as much as you can, it yields huge returns. Every um, investment that you make there, I think, returns you tenfold or more.
0: Let me pinion out on that point real quick. Uh, investment in the team. So give give us some examples of, uh, you know, wise investments, for, especially in, in the context of, you know, where Elysio is right now uh, on its journey. Um, what are some examples of sound investments in the team that you can make?
1: Yeah, so I think support is a big one. Trust, um, just building a, a team dynamic that is built on a mission um, and collective investment into that mission. Um, signaling trust to the people that you work with because you believe in their expertise and their ability to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, being open to insight coming from all levels within the company I think is something that I've learned is really important. Yeah, um, And just recognizing... All of the effort that goes into the, the goals that you have in achieving those, it comes from every person in, in your organization yeah. and supporting them and giving them what they need to thrive and giving them the opportunity to take on the challenges that are, are before them. I think those are things that um, come to mind when I think about you know, things that I've learned along the way.
0: Yeah, good deal. I interrupted you there with a, a follow-up question on specifics. Uh, around, around in the team. I, I think you were going somewhere else with the.
1: No, I think, um, you caught me right as you know, I was wrapping up there. So it was good to be able to expand on, on that. Good. Uh, what haven't I asked you, Peter, that, uh, that,
0: that I should have, or that I told you I would, uh, that you think is important to the Eliseo story?
1: Actually really resonated with that question. So, hmm. um, being able to be involved from conception to realization, I think is extremely exciting and rewarding from early research and innovation through clinical evaluations, the visibility across that whole spectrum. And to be part of that process is something that is, I think, truly exciting about the, at least the space that I'm sitting in, in the, uh, entrepreneurial biotech do you area.
0: think you're lucky like it, when you think about that like you said con- conception to realization uh, you know I'm assuming when you talk about conception it's got to do with like your time uh, at, at MIT like being involved with the the concept right at the at the ground floor is that just I don't want to say just lucky but is it sort of fortuitous that you can look back and say you know it's been really cool a lot of people don't have the opportunity to say well hey you know I'm six ten. 15 years into something that I at least played a hand in giving birth to, you know? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that um, probably more so on the side of um, at the point where the amphiphile technology came into Elysio and being able to say, you know, what are the opportunities that we should really pursue with this this new, interesting, and promising approach? Mm-hmm. And then being able to see, um, you know, the first signs of preclinical validation to go through the challenges of manufacturing and, and set up something, um, you know, an infrastructure, supply chain, if you will, um, an organization of of partners and people that will allow you to reach the clinic. To go through all the steps to the point we are now. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's unique in some ways. Um, and unique. yes, I do. Th- I do think it's luck in some ways. Um, but it's also the. Um, you know, are you totally bought into what you're doing? Right. Are you yeah. Are you willing to stick around? Are you willing to invest and continue to invest in something that you believe in?
0: Yeah, it's like I, I think about it. And like uh, I, I think of it as though you're inherently invested in in what's going on here as a, as a company because you've been involved from such an early time, um, which is awesome. I mean, it's an awesome place to be. Uh, I, I'm curious though if you, if you look at as I said, I think a lot of people don't have that luxury to, to come into work every day with the passion and drive born of your deep roots in in the science. Um, what advice would you have for folks who maybe don't have that luxury or advantage that you have? I call it a luxury and an advantage because I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic about it. And I'm sure at times it's also very stressful, right, like to be to be yeah. as invested as you are.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, you certainly feel the weight of responsibility working with something that you feel could be so transformative and feeling like you are in many ways responsible on a day-to-day basis for shepherding it in the in the proper way to get it to the point where it can reach the full potential that you believe that it has. Yeah. Um
0: when you bring someone new on board, so kind of phrase my question a different way. When you bring someone new, like you said you, you know, the, the team is very important, investing in the team is very important. The team is an investment in the company. I'm sure you're very selective and and careful about who you bring onto the team. So you bring someone onto the team say, I don't know, two or three years ago, or you're bringing someone on tomorrow. Um, How how do you, I guess, what advice would you have for them and how do you instill in them that sense of of ownership and responsibility?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it comes from delivering and, and making it clear your own passion yeah because you I was, I was just thinking that i'm, I'm sitting here thinking like because you want to share that like you know what it feels like and you want to share it yeah exactly and at this point i've been here so long and so many hours and days and years put into this i think people resonate with the passion that they see in others mm-hmm. and that's compelling um so people coming in to the company I think we look for passion. I think we look for just a commitment to the mission that we have, and we want to see that they're really bought into not only the science but the team dynamic that we feel is super important for for making us successful.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Well, wow. I'm, I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you, you look for those things. You look for an MIT degree. <laughs> sure, <laughs> maybe sometimes doesn't hurt. <laughs> right. Uh, I I guess to wrap things up here, as we run short on time, I read somewhere, I don't even remember where I read it, but I read that you're sort of a homebrew aficionado. Uh, That's a strong word. A Meisterbrower? (laughs) I don't know.
1: What would you call it? Um, You like to make beer at home. An enthusiast, maybe. Yeah. Um, No, I I do. I um, have a little bit less time to commit to that now. Um, I have three kids that are six, four, and two, so they keep me quite busy um, with things other than brewing beer. Well, six. Um,
0: I, I've had kids. I've, I have two kids. So when my kids were that age, it was actually motivation to <laughs> maybe make, make and drink beer. So yeah, there, well, there's I,
1: that. I would say maybe more enthusiasm for making and drinking coffee mm, yeah. these days. But yeah, um, I'm a, as i as as we said, I, I was a chemical engineer uh, early in my career, so I love big reactors and I love heat exchangers and all yeah. of the equipment that goes into brewing beer. I don't have quite that setup at my own. House, but
0: you're more advanced than the than a
1: five gallon carboy. Oh though? no, I, I'm on the five gar- gallon carboy. Um, yeah. But you know, I appreciate all of the science, essentially, that goes into brewing and the processes, the microbiology, the yeast, all of the the smells and and the processes that go into it. I really appreciate and enjoy. Yeah. So you're right. I think it is sort of a, a culmination of my appreciation for science, but also enjoy good. A good beer, sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. And in Boston, I mean, who doesn't? You need, you need to, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. What's, what's your favorite to, to brew?
1: I don't have a, a style of preference. It's more seasonal. So a New England IPA, maybe a yeah. stout or a porter in the fall. But um, yeah. I'm very agnostic when it comes to style.
0: I've ne- never made beer, but I used to. Uh, we used to do a little bit of home wine making, and you know, the carboy mm-hmm. approach. And when asked what my favorites to brew were, uh, my response was always the easy stuff because it can get pretty, you know, it can get pretty challenging. Yeah. Yep.
1: Neat. Uh, Any, any concluders, any other thoughts that you wanted to share before we wrap things up? Um, I mean, just, I think we've touched on this along the way, but just the excitement around the AMP platform, the true platform that this company has for bringing solutions to a lot of the problems that we see. Mm Um, for Eli 2 and the the huge milestones we have ahead of us. Um, and then just an overwhelming sense of, um, gratitude to the team here at Alessio and everybody that has, has made where we are possible. And it's, it's really been a tremendous experience to work with everybody here and everybody who's contributed. So, um, yeah, just want to credit all the people that have contributed to, uh, and where we are today.
0: Very good. Well, we'll, uh, we'll be paying attention. We'll be watching the, the clinical journey here. Um, I want to thank you, Peter, for having me into your, your office and giving me a little tour of the, the lab and welcoming me into your space. It's been, it's been great. I've appreciated the time.
1: Yeah. Nice to meet you. Good talk.
0: That's Elysio Therapeutics Chief Scientific Officer, Dr. Peter DeMuth. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by the folks at Bioprocess Online back home in Pennsylvania, and we're supported by the great folks at Cytiva, who are also dedicated to new and emerging biotech. You can see that commitment for yourself at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. Check us out at bioprocessonline.com. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, subscribe. Share us with your colleagues. And as always, thanks for listening.